When you make a living from the things that you love, you end up spending your whole life immersed in your passions. Host of the hit podcast, Marnie on the Move, founder and CEO of The Salop Group, specializing in marketing and branding for active lifestyle events with companies like SoulCycle and Athleta. She's an Ironman certified coach and obsessive triathlete herself. On the podcast today, we are joined by none other than Marnie Salop she joins us to talk about how she has successfully built a career around her passions and continues to find opportunities every single day to bring more of the things she's passionate about into her life. So if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I am your host, Troy Bousseau, coming to you from sunny Colorado. It is April 8th, 2021, and this is episode 39. Hello, Marnie. Hello, Troy. This is like perfect theme music for you, Marnie. I'm moving, I'm moving, you're dancing. Uh, I'm already uh, dancing. Uh. I'm on a run. Nice. How are you today? I'm good. It's a beautiful day in New York City. I can say it looks like it's sunny there, the sunlight pouring in through your apartment window there. Yeah. Well, good. F- all so the way through. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we have Marnie is Salop, right? Salup, Salop. Yes. I'm going to say Salup. I'm going to say Salup. I'm gonna say Salup. Marnie Salop. <sighs> I know it's the name of your business too. I shouldn't mess around with the brand. No, it's all right. I've got Sorry. many businesses, so Very good. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Marnie Salop of Marnie on the Move of Salop Group of Fit and Fit. Is it Fit Plus Love? Fit and Fit Love? Plus love. You, yeah, Fit, Fit Plus, plus love. love. Yeah, I want to talk a lot about that actually today. Okay, cool. Um, you are, man, you, you have a really interesting background. I didn't realize... Um, You'd gone to Parsons School of Design, which is a pretty dang prestigious school of design. I'd love to talk a little bit about that. You're sure. an Ironman coach, a yoga coach. You are a uh, podcaster extraordinaire. Um, what else should Thank we you. know about you? I have an extensive background in brand strategy and marketing. I'm a relentless, diehard athlete, even though I'm not the fastest athlete. And I. Yeah, I'm just on a mission to help people learn more about health and wellness and all the cool products and workouts and things they can do to get there and meet their goals. Awesome. Well, you came to the right place and we have the right guest on the podcast today. So that's what we are all about here. Yeah. I was actually, before our conversation, I was like on my Athlinks app looking to see when my first race was. Because actually, you know, when it comes to numbers and dates and stuff, I don't always remember. And I try to block out some of my times. So I was just kind of refreshing my memory. And it goes all the way back to 2011. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Was it as, what is it, was it as good as you remembered? Or, or some of those races, the pain has left you and you're just left with the, the result? It's interesting because I, you know, I had always thought that I started my athletic journey as a runner because I just remember always running. But I, my first race was a sprint triathlon yeah. in Staten Island, which is so interesting because I'm from New York City. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's Flat funny how pancake. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I misremember a lot of my things too. Um, usually for the, the better, I remember them better than they actually were, I guess. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, that is a, it's an interesting phenomenon when people go back, we get emails literally every single day of people who, you know, with that exact message, I had forgotten these 20 results that I had. And, you know, we've, we have results obviously dating back into the sixties and seventies. We have a guy in Arizona, Steve Finkelstein, who, 
who just hand enters old results from newspapers and old, you know, like that's pretty cool hand scribbled. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's, uh, it's super cool. And well, so a quick little thing is this will actually be my last podcast as an Athlinks employee. So I'm leaving Athlinks proper. I will continue Mm -hmm. doing the podcast, but after 15 years, it's, um, time to move on to some different things. Um, but this week also we passed 350 million results in the database. So it was kind of a nice little, that's huge. That's great. It's it's very bittersweet that you're leaving, but it's also like really exciting because I'm sure you're off to some new and amazing adventures. I am. Yeah. It's funny for the last 15 years, my, my hobbies are software and endurance racing and to have them all tied into one has been great. But at the same time, you sort of, it'd be nice to go to an event and not have to not have to like analyze and pick apart every last bit of the technology and all that stuff. And then I had podcasting in there, which is a third, you know, yeah. leg of the stool that is still also in the same space. So yeah, it's, it's going to be good to get some space and, and go do some different things that I've been working on. So I'm super That's excited. great. That's great. I always, I always said, you know, throughout my entire career, there were just some industries that I didn't want to work in because I didn't want to ruin the mystery and excitement around those industries, but it's, it's interesting because, you know, when you're passionate about something and then you have like talent in that arena, whatever it is, whether it's marketing or you're a great athlete, and then you turn that into your career, you have to be ready for like how that goes. Right. So, yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. But but enough about me. Let's talk about, yeah, no, I know you have to like, keep me in my lane over here or I'll start asking a lot of questions. I mean, that's really like my natural personality anyway, but I'm just going to wait and answer. The podcaster and you will step in. So how did you get into, um, you had mentioned your first race in athletics was a sprint try. What was your athletic background growing up? So growing up, I was like a total tomboy outdoorsy person. I was, you know, four years old on a bike, on a horse. I took every kind of dance class you could imagine. And I was awful. Uh, you know, and then when I, I was about 16, I started windsurfing and I think that, you know, what stuck for me was really the windsurfing and the cycling moving into my later years. And then I started running when I was in college. I always kind of wanted to be fit and healthy, even though I was, you know, working in PR and marketing and out every night at nightclubs, drinking and all the things you do when you're in your 20s in New York City. Yeah. and um. But that was kind of how I got how I got into it was, you know, my my first race was a sprint triathlon in Staten Island. That was like my first race ever in 2011. So being a windsurfer, were you pretty good in the water already? Did you like was that your confidence point or no? Um, it wasn't. It was not my confidence point. I definitely being a windsurfer, I was one of the windsurfers who would never fall. I okay. You know, if I fell, it was like right on top of my sail and I was hanging on for my life. Got I it. was not a strong swimmer at all that, that I would give myself credit for. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that, you know, my gear was super fancy. And if I was separated from it, I would swim really fast to get it. But that was really my only interest <laughs> in swimming at the time. Nice. And well, then, like, I didn't want to get attacked or by a shark in my imagination that was somewhere in the water in a bay in the Hamptons. Yeah. But yeah. No. Sure. Yeah. So did you, so it sounds like you grew up in the city, but then you had the excursions to the Hamptons and places like that. To- yeah. I mean, I, it's interesting because, you know, for the first 
decade or so of my life, I grew up in Long Island, which was actually not in the city, but on the beach uh, and just in the suburbs. And then I started college in Manhattan. And okay. that's where I really start was, you know, training and racing and going out to the Hamptons and going out to Long Island, like all of my life. Okay. So when you were most of your swims then, like, did you do a lot of pool workouts or was it all ocean or? So when I started swimming, it was really like five years before, like started in 2011. My first triathlon, I was not a swimmer. I was a windsurfer and a runner and I knew I had a bike, you know, like it was really running that got me in. And I, in that first triathlon, walked the swim, even though it was in the ocean Somehow nobody stopped me and I was in, I'm only like five one, so it wasn't that deep, but I was able to stay on the inside and I found the bottom of the, of, it was the ocean, but I found the bottom. It wasn't very rough that day and I was wow. able to walk most of it. I mean, I couldn't really, it was like up to my eyebrows, but I was bopping yeah. in and out. I didn't have to really swim, but then I started swimming and I took lessons at my gym and it took a good few years to get it. That is hilarious. Yeah, what would you it have is done hilarious. You, had, had you, <laughs> what would you have done had you not been it? Would you just gutted it out? I don't know what I would have done. I yeah. found a way. That's like yeah. my MO. I, you know, I found a way to do the triathlon even if I didn't swim. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah it's but nice. I quickly realized that it would be good to learn. It's, it's certainly more fun when you're horizontal in the water rather than yes. walking. Yeah, I mean, the... I could have won. <laughs> Who knows yeah. if I actually swam. Did you do well in the race otherwise on the swim? Yeah, I bike? think so. I don't, I think or I wrote down my time. <laughs> well, we can pull it up. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll get there in um, a second here. It was my, it was 210. That's not good for a sprint. Mm-mm. Yeah. I was going to say oh, no. it's a long, Wait. it's a long day. No, that's water. no, no, no. Sorry. That was my first uh, half marathon. That's a half. Um, I don't know. I don't know what my first, I don't remember my first flat as a oh, pancake, Staten God. Island. Okay, hold on. We're we're pulling it up here. All right, cool. Uh, Pancake Triathlon 2011. You did a 126, and I'm probably spent you... like 45 minutes walking. You did 10th in your age group, 10th out of 30. So you know, top third in your age group for your first triathlon ever. Ever. That's not a bad day. Yeah. No. Congrats. I mean, I That's loved good. it. I came out of the water and I was like, "This is awesome." Sign me up for yeah. another one. Yeah. Yeah. I I hated my my first was a. Um, was a splash and dash and I had a buddy who talked me into it and and I showed up late. I don't remember why I was late, but they were just about to start the race and oh I God. ran up to the yeah. reg table and it was a small race and we knew everybody. So it was just, and he, my buddy was in the water already. He's like, come on. And so I just literally threw my stuff on the ground, jumped in the water as the gun goes off, swam for 10 yards, totally vapor locked and had to like breaststroke and backstroke the rest of the swim. It was terrible, but, but I did it. And as you said, I found a way and I yeah. fell in love with triathlon and, and uh, yeah, made it a big part of my life going forward. So, you know, yeah. I love triathlon. I mean, how, how did you, so you said you were, you were a runner at the time. You didn't have any swim background. What was it about triathlon that, that sort of sucked you in? So actually it was a friend that challenged me <laughs> to do it. Mm. And honestly, I um, was a client, a friend, and she was doing this race and I said, I'll drive you, you know, I'll drop you off. And she said, you can't just like drop me off. You have to do it. (laughs) And I said, I don't know how to swim. Yeah. And she said, yeah, you can figure it out. And so I did. I I mean, I really just wanted to drop her off. And that was my original plan. (laughs) 
What other trouble has this friend you gotten you into in your life? That was it. That, that was, was it. it was wow. the trouble. Okay. The best trouble ever was triathlon. Yeah. Wow. Well, there must have been a part of you that was open, obviously, to the experience, you know, unless you're just really I am bad always at open. No. I am always open to a good challenge. That is yeah. definitely, you know, my personality. Yeah. As long as so, I'm not going to die, I'm good. Okay. Well, so you said you owned a bike. What was your bike like at the time? Um, I think it was a Trek. No, it was a Giant. It was a hybrid. Okay. Yeah. It was nice. not good. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine for a couple miles, yeah. but I got a Scott immediately following Very and nice. leveled up. Yeah. So you did a, um, I just had you up here a second ago. So then you did your, um, looks like an Olympic next. I mean, you, you kind of jumped in with both feet. You did the Miami half marathon right after that. Um, what, like, I think, were you, were you kind of going into that sprint try? Like, was there some part of you that said, okay, this isn't just going to be a one and done. Did you know you were going to do more of this going forward? I loved it. I just yeah. loved running through the finish line. I loved doing something that scared the hell out of me and completing it. And I really loved running. It's, I mean, of all three sports, I'm in my happy, I, I really, I also love cycling, but running for me is really different. So yeah. you don't need anything to do it, obviously. And yeah. there's just something really meditative and freeing about running. And I'm sure that everyone who's listening to this gets what I'm talking about. So it was really easy for me to do. I already had been, you know, regularly running a couple times a week. And so I loved the race component and the community and the people and the energy. It was like yeah. just so incredible. And for someone who had never experienced that before, it was great. And so I kind of kept going back and forth between half marathons and sprints and Olympic distance yeah. triathlons. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Was that your first time crossing a finish line in your life or, or like in yeah. front of a crowd doing something like that? Ever. My first time. Yeah. It's pretty addictive, is it not? Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's a really amazing feeling. Yeah. So, and I re when, one thing that I think was my biggest takeaway in that moment was that, you know, up until that point, I had my own business and, you know, I had been in business for a while. And, you know, those, you can work, so hard in your career to build something or to do something. And you never have that feeling. It's very rare when you do everything you can, you put all the work in and you walk away and everyone's happy. Right. Yeah. So I feel like what I got from racing was like this thing where I could train, I could do the work and I would see the results. And I think that was really also incredible for me to be able to do that. And then maybe have a different perspective around business and different expectations around being an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's very finite in that you, you know, there's a, there's a very definitive beginning and end, even in the training cycle, even when those races are sort of a B or a C level race training for an A race, there's a, there's a very clear structure and you get to be tested on that day. Business, oftentimes you never like, you're tested over a very long period of time versus a race where it's like you, you can tell on that day whether you put in the work or not. And, uh, right. you know, it's, it's nice to have that, um, that difference in, in philosophy. The, the, it's funny because I, I was talking to somebody recently on the podcast, my philosophy in business has always been, 
um, you know, hire for your weaknesses and just yes. really blow your strengths out. Whereas like racing and specific something to like ultras or things like that is you cannot ignore your weaknesses. You've got to yeah. make sure that those are not the things that sink you. Cause they say like, you're not going to win in the water, but you can lose in the water on a triathlon. Yes. So at some true. point you got to get that, you got to get that done. Yeah. Very true. That's so when do you, I do. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, whenever I do triathlons, I never look at the swim as the place where I'm going to bring that kind of energy. I just look at the swim as kind of my warm up, and I want to kind of get through in a zone two space and then I crush it on the bike. Well, crush it for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I love running. So, yeah. Do you, how did you approach it again going forward? Did you look at like, okay, run was your happy place. And that's where we then tend to want to go do our training because it's the easiest or most fun or whatever. Did you look at your weaknesses and say, okay, I need to do double time on the swim, maybe single time on the bike and build that strength and then maybe ignore my run while I'm doing these things? So the way I kind of looked at it and analyzed it was I said, running is my strength and I'm really comfortable there. So I'm going to keep doing that. And in that sport, I can kind of work on my speed. And, you know, even if it stayed the same, I would be okay with that. And when it came to cycling and swimming, I knew if I had a choice between where I would spend my energy and get the most like bang for my buck, it was cycling. because. I'm also really comfortable on the bike and all I really need to do is strength training. And, you know, I, I feel like the bike are, is my second pair of legs, you know, like I'm good with technical stuff. I can, you know, ride with no hands clipped in. I'm very comfortable. So for me, it's really, you know, like I said, I'm five one, I'm tiny. So, so are, you know, you know, award-winning athletes and yeah. Ironman champions. So I have no excuse, but that's what I tell myself. So, you know, I just need to do some strength work and I can get faster on the bike. But I think with swimming, it's a lot of mental work for me. I have the endurance, the speed I could get, but the mental part is really the hardest part. And that's something I've always struggled with in open water is like just, you know, getting out into the water and being totally confident and you know it's not if it's not one thing it's another and i know that none of it is like real mental fear i mean sure there are sharks yes there's a lot of people the water could be cold that day but at the end of the day nothing is going to happen to me and no matter how many times i say that to myself i can't make myself believe it so when yeah. i get in the water there's a lot of like mental fear that is harder than physical at 5-1 what is your bigger <laughs> fear is it is it other people or is it the sharks and and the ocean itself um, I think it's like the sharks and the ocean itself. And I don't, I don't even think it's sharks anymore. I think it's more like, you know, just like being knocked around, not by people, but just by the water. Like if it's super choppy or if there are big waves, like I just start to feel like I'm not big enough to power through. Like I don't have the strength, but yeah. I mean, that's just where my head goes, but is it real? Probably Everybody not. else is doing it. I watch them swim. I'm yeah. the only one freaking out. So, I mean, but even that doesn't help. But, I mean, I do it. But it, it, there's definitely a lot of delay in the first few minutes of me swimming. Yeah. So, I mentioned that you're an Ironman coach at the top here. What do you tell yourself? How do you train that? How do you train the mental side, especially specific to the swim? So, how do I you spend coach a yourself through that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's something that I'm always working on and, you know, as a coach, I'm not perfect and everybody has their thing. And, 
you know, one of my goals, and it was, you know, it's been the last few years, I really want to work on it. It's just, I really am confident that if I can just spend more time in the water, like that will go away. It's just that I don't really live very close to a body of water that is easy for me to just jump in. So, you know, one of the things I was hoping to do was start surfing and really understand the waves and the patterns and the ocean. Because for me, it comes down to with the currents and the tide and the waves, like that fear, I think I can manage that. Like, I think if I understand what I'm dealing with, then I can go in knowing that. I mean, the ocean is obviously something you can never know, but at least if I have some kind of like background info or intelligence, I can focus on that as opposed to other fears. That's my first thing. So this summer, I'd like to really start surfing. Do you still windsurf? I do, but it's different. You know, I mean, that's all about the wind. So it doesn't matter so much about the waves. And where I windsurf, it's more about speed and less about chop. Got it. Got it. That's interesting that... um, Yeah, and you're on, yeah. Are there other opportunities for you to open water swim? Uh, There's got to be a good... training groups out there for open water swimming in. in, uh... Yeah, there's, you know, I, sometimes I go out about 45 minutes from the city. There's Coney Island and Brighton beach and it's a bay, but I don't know if it's Bay ocean. It's kind of, it's the bay. And, um, you know, there are swim groups that go out and train and swim together. And I, I go out there and swim and I'm fine. It's really like, when it's really in choppy water situations, like if the water's yeah. flat, I'm totally a-okay. Okay. So there's a place I like to swim in the Hamptons where I go every summer and I get a few swims in, but I really need to get myself, like for training, I need to push myself. I need to get out into the ocean and in the waves. And I have friends that are swimming that I can jump into their swim groups. But yeah. I also think, um, you know, for me, I just need to do it. Yeah. It can't be like race day. Yeah. Did you ever show up to a race and not do it because of the water conditions? I did. I have um, once, and it wasn't because it was choppy. It was because it was really cold, which is my other thing, which I'm actually (laughs) working on this year as well, cold water swimming. And I am going to start embracing the Wim Hof method. So I'm going to try. I mean, that's my goal. You know, if there's two things that I'm afraid of, it's, it's the cold water and the waves. I mean... And then I'll deal with the sharks later because they're not actually that bad. Yeah, really? Yeah. There's a, somebody gave me this advice and I don't know if it's true, but it does work is that there's a nerve in your septum that, um, when you get your face wet with cold water is where that, that, um, um, sort of reactive deep breath where you start to hyperventilate in really cold water. And so the, the instinct is before a race when you're doing your swim warm-up you see all these people especially in cold water they don't put their faces in the water they're sort of doggy paddling to sort of you know to to warm up and this guy was like no put your face in the water and keep it there for as long like hold your breath for a minute and just put your face submerge it and that that totally fixed the problem so oh wow that's interesting i'll try that it works very well and you you at first you sort of get this spasming um, in your lungs, you know, there's something that there's a survival mechanism, obviously in there yeah. that says your face is in water, get it out of water, um, in the cold water. But, uh, yeah, if you can, if you can overcome that spasm, then it, it really does help. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, the other thing that happens to me and I, I think it happens to a lot of athletes too, is like you get in the water, it's cold. And as soon as you put your face in, like you start to get dizzy, like you feel a little bit off balance. Um, yeah. 
and then you start to panic. Yeah. 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 And it's a real thing. I mean, that's the, it's interesting that you, uh, that the, like at five, one, I've been dunked and maybe it's a male, female thing. Like I'm, you know, you go in there and I had this guy who was like an offensive lineman just swim perpendicular over top of me panicking. He was panicking like right at yeah. the start of the race. He was just like, nope, this ain't happening. And he held me down underwater. Like he grabbed me and just pushed me underwater. And it was like, and luckily it was, it was at a time where I was doing a lot of splash and dashes and triathlons week in and week right. out. So this was like five weeks in a row. And so I was able to just very calmly and I actually swam down instead of trying to fight up. I just went deeper underwater and then came out and was like, okay, that was weird. That's not how I wanted to start my race, but I was able to, because the panic is the killer in the swim. It's when you panic and your breath gets all screwed up and, and then, you know, like you can, you can recover when your face isn't submerged in water on the bike or the run, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's exactly, that's pretty much what happens to me. So, yeah. How do you coach that in in some of your other athletes? Do you like, do you find other athletes with the exact same things and you're, it's sort of like you're really good at giving advice, but not great at taking it. I am great at giving advice and not great at taking it. (laughs) So (laughs) that is just, you know, it's always easier to give advice. And honestly, like, I think if I have an athlete who's afraid to swim, I might go swim with them and forget about my own fear and focus on them. And then I wouldn't be afraid, but it's weird because like I swim with other people and I'm out there by myself, but I don't know when it comes to my athletes. though, I can totally give advice. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. Like I always used to look at my dad who is like the most fearless guy on the planet. And when I had kids, I realized, and I've talked to him about this is he's not necessarily fearless. It's when you have, when you are in charge of, you know, a child or somebody else. So in your case, coaching, right. it's much easier to put those fears aside and sort of look, you know, take that hero role on um, and look fearless. But the reality is you're, you're shaking in your boots inside, but you're not showing it to the outside world or to whomever is yeah. in your care at that time. I think everybody knows it about me though. So it's not easy to hide. <laughs> I have no poker face. So I do, I do think that I, I always say, look, I get it. I understand your pain. I feel it, but this is what you got to do. We're all taking this advice. I'm trying, but yeah. 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 How has the, uh, obviously I looked at your, um, I looked at your athletics profile and looks like you didn't do any racing last year. Did you do any virtuals or anything that we just don't have? No, no, I didn't do any races because I just didn't feel inspired. And I switched gears completely with my training. in, I guess it was good because I was always so serious, you know, like my friends would all go out for a bike ride on 9W and they would like stop for lunch and I'd be like, peace, see you later. I got to keep going. <laughs> I eat on my bike and they're yeah. like, you're so crazy. And I'm like, I'm a triathlete. Like I'm eating on my bike and I'm going to crush it today. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, you know, even on a run, like I was so serious. Like I had to meet a certain time and my heart rate had to be like X, Y, Z. and when COVID happened, I was like out. I remember I was, I did just finished my last 18 mile run because I was training for the New Jersey marathon and I came back and, you know, my inner ankle was kind of hurting and I was like, wow. And I had kind of been dialed into COVID before, ever, like I saw what was happening 
yeah. in China. And I saw, I knew there was something that was coming. Mm-hmm. So I was just waiting for the world to shut down. I knew like in March. And that was when I did my last run, my last super long run. And I was just like, you know, there's really no need to run 18 miles if I'm not doing a race. And and then like a week, I was on the treadmill at my gym and about like a week or so later, everything shut down and all yeah. the races started getting canceled. And, you know, I knew it was going to happen. I wasn't like shocked. And I just said like, you know, I'm just going to have fun and just try to move because I was really scared. I mean, everybody was really scared, but yeah. being in New York City, um, you know, we didn't know like if you could take the elevator. We didn't right. know if you could be outside and someone could be running in front of you. And there were all kinds of reports about, you know, COVID spreading through the air. If you're a cyclist, it goes 60 feet behind you. I don't know what I was reading, but I was terrified. So I just started running through the streets of the city and not on the bike path or not on the water. And I really couldn't run fast at all. It was very challenging because of the cobblestones and the sidewalks and the traffic lights, but there were no people. So it was kind of fun. I mean. I got to see New York City in a really different way. And I stopped cycling because I didn't want to like fall off my bike, God forbid, and have to take up a hospital bed of somebody that was sick. Or, yeah. And that was really what was going through my mind, like March through July. And then in July, like August, I started getting back out on my bike again. But it was really like no race, no problem. I'm just going to ride and like have fun and stay cool and not speed or fly down hills or just take it easy and so that was really fun but now i'm ready to triathlon again <laughs> yeah i'm done <laughs> yeah that's interesting that's yeah that's, so at the time it sounds like you didn't necessarily miss it it was a nice respite from the you know so serious all the time style of training and yeah at first it was hard like the first few weeks yeah. to but i i just had to pivot you know like everyone else in the world i i had to keep moving and cause that's really my MO. And so I had to find a way to go forward. And it was, it was really like, am I going to sit here and freak out or am I going to move forward and do something? So yeah. that was my option. Yeah. I, at the time when the, um, you know, gyms shut down and everything and that running was in a lot of, cause what you said about cycling and the, the, uh, possibility that you would get hurt. I've heard from yeah. a lot of people, people, a lot of people didn't cycle for that very reason, but the running was like, that was the only way that I really found that I could clear my head, which is, you know, running has always been very, um, um, therapeutic or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the racing side is interesting. You know, we were going into what, what was shaping up to be the best race year in about eight years. We were yeah. up about 3% as an industry, lots, lots of cool things, some good roll-ups in the industry and everything, everything was sort of pointing in the right direction. And then it all just got taken away. So, um, did you, yeah. it's interesting that you didn't, um, look at it. Uh, do you have plans to do a full iron? No, not right no. now. Okay. Why? Uh, maybe like in a couple of years, I would love to start, yeah. get on that track. Is it just a matter of like time available for training or does it just not speak to you? I, it's not really pulling me in right now. And okay. I feel like I have so much more to work on at the distances that I'm in mm-hmm. that I'd like to kind of achieve those goals. And then I can move into the world of Ironman, like full Ironman. Yeah. 
Yeah. Also the swimming, you know, I've got to get that down because I think that where I'm going to end up doing an Ironman is going to depend on the swim. And I'd like to feel strong about the swim so that I don't have to pick like a lake or a river or something. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> Arizona's a great one. <clears throat> that's uh, that's what um all my friends say, Arizona. Yeah, it, the only problem with Arizona is you could either have like a 45 degree day or a 95 degree day. Um, the weather swings on in that it, it's better since they moved the date, but it's still, mm -hmm. you can get some wild swings. That happened when we did the iron, the half Ironman, the 70.3 in Austin, mm -hmm. we thought, Oh wow. Austin is going to be hot. And it was freezing and we were not prepared at all. Like nobody, no one, no one thought it was going to be freezing. Yeah. Uh, it was a great race though. Yeah. But that was the last year. That's the other thing that happens to me. Like every time I start to get good in a race or do it for the first time and love it, it's canceled. <laughs> yeah. Do you like the to do the year. same races over and over? Uh, like, do you, do you kind of fall in love with certain races or do you like to do different ones? I like to do the same races over and over so that I can PR because every okay. course is different. Right. So I like yeah. to, I'm a little bit like into the numbers maybe. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I also like to do, uh, do races to explore new places and cities and kind of check it out. But there are certain ones that I've always kind of come back to. Also, it's easy to get to easy to do. So, you know, anything within a three to four hour drive is always easy. So I did Timberman for a few years. Uh, I just did, you know, the Connecticut 70.3 for the first time, but that's a course in Connecticut that I've been doing for years under a different name. So, you know, I like to keep things like the complications leading into the race as simple as possible. And then every yeah. now and then we'll go somewhere and try something totally different. Yeah. So you've got, um, you know, your branding, marketing, you had your own agency during this whole time. You, then you, you know, I, I'm curious to know what led you to coach Ironman or triathlon or, you know, a, a, Ironman level coach um, while you have, I mean, your plate is plenty full with between the podcast, the fit plus love, the salad group, you have all these things yeah. going on. Like where, where did you, because in, in some ways it brings you closer to this sport you love, but in other ways that time spent coaching is time that you could spend training or, you know, something. Yeah. So basically it started during COVID. So okay. I have, it's kind of, let me see. It's kind of, so my, my sort of the idea and inspiration behind getting my Ironman coaching certification was really for me to coach myself. And that's really where it started was I, I'm a, I love learning. I love learning new things. And I really wanted to take my training to a new level. And I saw, you know, during COVID, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I mean, honestly, you know, right before I have was, you know, I had was very busy with, you know, PR brand strategy clients and, you know, developing content and shows for brands and all the production things I was doing, but a lot of it ended. And I was like, okay, now is the time. I already had my yoga teacher training certification and I used it like a couple times, but I've, I was never a yoga teacher. You know, I have yeah. a 500 hour certification and I loved every minute of that certification, but I ended up teaching a couple classes and then got busy with my agency. And it, 
it didn't speak to me. You know, it was great for my own practice and I, um, I used it for my business. I mean, everything that I've gotten from my yoga teacher training, which was brought to my attention by one of my favorite yoga teachers, Bethany Lyons, who owns Lyons Den Yoga in New York City, was that I was actually using this certification for my life and for my business, not just for teaching literally, but on a bigger level. So I wanted to get my coaching certification and I had already been coaching a few people for running and not officially, but you know, I'm always if somebody asks me, I'm always open to develop a plan or program if they're new to the sport. And, you know, I, I felt confident in what I have learned and done over the years to offer that kind of advice to someone. I mean, if there's ever something I don't know, I certainly bring in somebody with more expertise, one of my talents as a CEO and founder. Yeah. Uh, but, and I know how to do that. Like I know how to get a nutritionist or, you know, somebody who's like a pro cyclist or whatever someone needs to make them successful, to make their brand successful or their training or race successful. But with the Ironman coaching, I really haven't coached that many athletes, honestly. I mean, it, okay. I got my certification in, I don't even know when it was like April, May, June. I got like 100 or 98 on the test. And I mean, I have had a lot of people reach out. I've coached friends, you know, way before I had that certification. Um, But what I got from that certification was a real understanding of the coaching business. And I learned a lot about some of the nutrition uh, tests and formulas that I need for my training. Also, Mm you know, cycling workouts, training and understanding cycling in a better way. Um, so the, it is a good question. Cause I really don't have that kind of time to be like a serious coach where I have like a hundred athletes. That's not my right. goal. I mean, I'd love to have like four or five athletes ongoing and I do have that time because okay. that's something that I want to do, but I haven't done that full speed ahead. I'm kind yeah. of new to it, but I feel confident that I could do it. Yeah. Something tells me the marketer and brander in you, you will parlay this into, you know, I'll just give it to another coach and put their whole thing together. (laughs) Yeah. Or you'll just end up like coaching Gordon Ramsay or, you know, someone you'll work this in somehow into a much bigger story. It'll be like part of my PR services offering. Like you, I'll hand, I'll do your PR, your brand strategy, but you also have to sign up for an Ironman and I'll coach you for that. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. Very So how does this, yeah. So the the Fit Plus Love thing is actually really intriguing to me. You were part of the the Soul Cycle launch. Um, you know, you did some work with Under Armour, Mile High Run Club, Athleta, the Union Square uh, Sweat Fest is really cool. Um, like, how did this? Because uh, I love you know this is I'm leaving athletes, but I'm by no stretch leaving the sort of healthy way of life or healthy living space. Um, it won't be an endurance necessarily, but like. I need to make sure that this remains part of my life forever. How did you, like, was this a, a, a calculated effort on your part, how you ended up here? Or was it sort of, you know, you just got the right clients and then you said, holy smack, you know, I'm, I'm like smack dab in the middle of all this. So I definitely, there was definitely a strategy around all of it. So I started the Salop Group, which is my marketing brand strategy, PR agency, in 2000 or 1999. I don't know. It depends on the day. It could be yesterday. Uh, (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Uh, But seriously, I started as a PR agency. I worked in the world of um, restaurants and I worked with celebrities and, 
you know, nightclubs in New York City. And then as I got more into fitness, I started working. I started, you know, it was really the agency was like me and like two other people. It wasn't a big agency. And I really specialized in helping brands get their messages out to consumers through the media without like, you know, just drinking the Kool-Aid. I was kind of always that intermediary agency person that was able to kind of take the client and the people and like bring them together in a way that everybody liked it. So when I was, you know, in the early days of my PR agency, marketing agency, the Salop Group, I started working with a lot of fitness clients. So that's where I worked with SoulCycle. That's where I worked with Mile High Run Club. And SoulCycle was first. And it was when they first opened their studio in New York City on the upper, I think it was the Upper West Side. And then they opened in Bridgehampton. And that's when I really came on board because I was working with a lot of nightclubs and personalities in the Hamptons and New York City. And then I was also working with a couple of fitness clients in the city, but also I had been doing some work with Nike and this comp- this project they had at the time called Project Classified. And it was a really underground sort of fitness event activation that Nike was doing to tap into New York City's fitness scene. And they were bringing celebrity instructors, who was one of my clients, Ari Nunez, to teach at like Soho House. And this was way before any of this stuff. I don't even know the year. But the founders of SoulCycle, Julie and Elizabeth at the time, were part of this project classified, which is how we met. And then we were friends. And when they opened their New York City studio. I was taking classes at SoulCycle and then I started working with them when they launched in the Hamptons. And, you know, I was probably their first PR person. And at the time, you know, nobody understood the concept of like indoor spinning or cycling at the time. And it was a hard sell, but, you know, it quickly picked up and people loved it. Um, So that was my first fitness client. And then, you know, as the years went on, I worked with a lot more fitness clients. So flash forward a couple of years ago, I launched Mile High Run Club in New York City under the Salop Group as their PR marketing agency. And maybe it was four or five years ago at this point. But um, whenever they launched, I worked with Swerve Fitness in New York City. I worked with City Row. I worked with a lot of these studios doing brand strategy, PR, marketing, and in 2015, I started Fit Plus Love. And I started that with my partner who has a lot of background in operations and just urban planning and all of this stuff that I had no experience in. I was more of a sort of, you know, ideation, sort of like creative. And she's very creative too. But at the time, that was where I needed someone to help me. And it really started, I was at the time I was before, right about when we started Fit Plus Love, I was working with Athleta to bring in instructors, like the most popular instructors in New York City to teach classes in their store. And this was, yeah, around 2015, 2014. And it really wasn't something that was happening. You know, maybe Lululemon did it somewhere in the world. But other than that, you know, stores and retailers were not hosting fitness events to drive sales or shopping in their stores. It just wasn't a thing. And one of the people I worked with at Athleta, Martha Kaplan, she had this vision and I was, you know, also had this similar vision from doing all the stuff with Project Classified and Nike to really like leverage the talented instructors in New York City Mm -hmm. and from around the world. Like when we, you know, did our events, we would bring it, you know, Instagram famous instructors with lots of followers or just 
had a lot of popularity to New York City to teach a class at a studio or at an outdoor location or someone really somewhere really different. But what was happening with the Salop group at the time was that a lot of my clients were, they were hiring us to do PR and brand strategy. And they also then would say, oh, we know that you plan all these great events. Can you do an event? And I was like, well, it's not really part of the program. And, you know, we'd have to put that into, you know, your budget. And they were like, oh, no, we just like make it like a PR event. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start another company and that company is going to handle events. And that's really what happened. It was like all at the same time simultaneously happening where I had a lot of clients in fitness that wanted to do events. I was representing instructors and talent and you know, brands started coming to me and asking me if those instructors could, you know, with like Under Armour and Andia Winslow, we launched their entire women's line in New York City at different fitness studios. And that was through the Salop group. And so I started seeing this trend. And so when I had this opportunity with Athleta, I don't know if it's like confusing, but I don't know what we were doing this with Athleta because we were working with them on something for PR. I said, let's just start the separate company. And there were a couple of projects at the time that I was working on with with my partners separately. So we just started a new company. And then every event and every project I was doing with the Salop Group went under that company. And so that's really when we started programming retail spaces and outdoor spaces with fitness events or fitness content, whether it was, you know, getting the best instructors from all around the world to come to New York City and teach classes. So in the early days, you know, Athleta was our biggest partner for that. And we had, you know, Amanda Klutz, who has a class called The Rope, and she was teaching. We had uh, Tanya from Physique 57. She's the owner, teach a class. I brought in, I cannot remember the name of the woman, which is a very famous yoga instructor. It's escaping me right now. I could look it up on my phone if you want, but she came in and taught and we helped Athleta really build this concept around having fitness in their store to drive retail sales. And it worked. So they built a studio and an entire wellness center downstairs in their store on 18th street and fifth Avenue. And that was the beginning. And then we really started talking to different business improvement districts in the city because, you know, union square being one of them was looking to really, generate excitement around fitness and wellness in their neighborhood because that's where all of these fitness studios were opening in the Union Square neighborhood. And they wanted to kind of establish their brand as Union Square Partnership and Union Square as the epicenter of everything fitness and wellness in New York City. So my partner knew the business improvement district team. And I knew every single fitness studio and instructor in New York City because I had already been working with them doing this kind of content. And so we kind of, we teamed up and we built this event. And it's a funny story because it was supposed to be a fitness event for 100 people. And we were going to do it with Jackrabbit, which is a very popular running store and chain now. And we were going to have the sign up be like a race day. So this was for people in fitness though. So they weren't necessarily runners or triathletes. So they had no idea about this race day pickup thing that we all do as runners and triathletes. So we're going to schedule like a, you know, a, a fitness day pickup, an event. They pick up all their information. They sign up for different classes. And it was really to generate business to studios and gyms in the neighborhood. And we were going to do this 
with two people, you know, a couple mm-hmm. gyms. Yeah. And in nine minutes, over 500 people signed up for this thing. Whoops. And then the next like 15 minutes, we had a thousand people. And yeah. I, it was such a good problem to have, but we really only planned for a hundred people. Right. So I had to call like every person I knew and every fitness studio I knew and all the retailers. And I'm like, hey, would you guys be open to having like 30 to 50 people come to your store and I'll bring in a fitness class and I'll bring in like Juice Press and, you know, all the different brands and I'll just do the whole thing. Like you just need to let us use your store. And yeah. everyone agreed. And that was how our sweat fest started. And it went on for five wow. years. So it's pretty awesome. I mean, that's a very long story. That's the longest I've ever talked. <laughs> No, that's great. Thank no, that you. that was really cool. Because again, I I love that's how the these story. things. Yeah, yeah. And again, this is the 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 lesson that I've learned as an entrepreneur that I try to teach to people, and and I'll do some mentoring and things. Is that you know probably had you had you set out to do what it became, either you don't launch or you overcomplicate the hell out of everything. Versus like let's just get yeah. let's get step one done. Let's get some people signing up, and then all of a sudden as you said, you end up with a good problem. And then it's, yeah. easy to, it's easy to solve the good problems in terms of, you know, hey, we have too many people, where do we put them? Versus yeah. we have, no we have one. 40 people signed up and you're trying to figure out how to get these 60 more to cover the sponsorships that you sold. Yeah, and it was interesting because it, it, it worked for me, like the sort of transition, and it wasn't really a transition because they kind of bounced off each other, right? Like, you know, I was already working, doing brand strategy and PR, yeah for brands and studios in fitness. And so having this event company around fitness and wellness kind of expanded me into the world of wellness and kind of let me bring all the things I love together. And so, and then the podcast. Well, and I'm huge on that. We had Lorna, Lorna Campbell from World Marathon Majors on a couple months ago, and she talked very similarly about her journey, which started as a letter writing campaign in the UK to get on the Olympic committee and, you know, it, and it created this career for her. Yeah. Um, and so hearing your story, I'd love to know, like, it, I'm sure it's obvious to a lot of people what this has done for your soul in your life, like being so close to the, the passions that you have in work, but just describe a little bit, just how, from a quality of life standpoint, what this fit plus love and, and all of these, you know, as you said, the coaches, the, the shops, the studios, all of these people being in your life, what does this mean to you as a, as a, as a person at business stuff aside, but just, from yeah. A, yeah. So I am grateful that I wake up every day and do what I love. I mean, there's never a day where I feel like I'm working and honestly, like being able to share my passion for fitness and wellness and exercise and all the amazing things that it does for me with other people is really like an amazing feeling. It's like that feeling I had the day that I ran through my first finish line and I felt like there was a community. And I think that's the same feeling that I get, like being able to share this with other people. And, you know, it's not for everyone, but. No, but I I think it's important because they're like, I will say for the last 15 years, um, I have felt like every morning, like the covers get yanked off of me and I just get, you know, sort of catapulted out of bed. You know, I don't, in 15 years, I have not woken up a single day. And even through COVID, even through, you know, 
like we've lost data in the past. We've had catastrophic, you know, server outages and all of the other things that you deal with in a day. Yeah. I've never one time like had to drag myself to the office. I have attacked every single day because I love the problem. I love the space. I love the people. I love the people we serve and that we partner with and, and all those things. And frankly, life is too short. And I think with COVID, we've all certainly learned this. Life is too short to do a job you don't love, to work with people that you don't relate to and, and all of those things. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Easier said than done. You have to find it. Yeah. But I think, I think, you know, if ever there was a time to sort of, you know, tear up the script and go write your own story, now is, now is certainly that time. Yeah. And I mean, you talked about earlier how, you know, we were talking about like how when I'm coaching people, I can coach them through issues that I personally am confronting, right? Like my fear of the ocean. Yeah. And I feel like that similarly translates to career and work. So, you know, for years I had been helping people build brands, helping brands build their brands and connecting brands with consumers and vice versa. And I had never, you know, I had launched my podcast, which was to me, even though I had already had like three companies or two companies, it was like the first thing I did for myself mm. in my mind yeah. for some reason, like launching the Marnie on the Move no, podcast. Yeah. And like, I had not done anything, no marketing, nothing. I was just recording the podcast. I mean, not nothing. I mean, I spent like a year trying to research yeah. audio engineering and I did all the work to build the podcast, but I wasn't spending any time outward. And when COVID happened and, you know, my client list went in, <laughs> down into the tanks. Yeah. I, uh, I, I just said like, all right, like the same thing I did with training. I'm like, I can either sit here and freak out or I can do something to move forward. And I just said like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on me. This is the time now more than ever. I'm going to take my own advice. Like what advice would I give for a client to a client that was in the same situation? You know, I didn't have a press release. I still don't have a press release. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, I, I didn't have, I wasn't doing any marketing. I was just like posting things on social media and I wasn't doing anything that I would be paid to do for someone right. else. And so I started thinking about what I could do. Uh, it was challenging to say the least for myself. And I said, you know, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I'm going to, you know, spend some money on marketing. I'm going to, you know, do marketing. Why should I spend money when I can physically do the marketing? It's not like I'm doing anything else. And um, so I kind of, you know, gave myself some tough advice. <laughs> yeah. I've been listening to it ever since. That's interesting. Why, why do you think that is like, why, why you, you would never walk into a customer, you know, a yeah. client and say, well, listen, what you should probably, cause which is exactly what I'm doing. It's like, we, we post to Instagram, you know, like, yeah, I would say two thirds of the time we forget to post to Twitter. Sometimes yeah. we post to Facebook. I think three episodes have been posted to LinkedIn and that's about it. Like that's our, that's our whole marketing yeah. strategy, you know, but you know, like in your case specifically, this is what you do for a living. Why was it so difficult for you to take your own, not advice? What, like, were you I'm curious to know, did you have the plan in your head and you weren't executing it? Or were you like, kind of just like keeping the plan? You were, you stiff arming the plan. You didn't even think that far ahead. I had the plan. And at first it was all in my head, you know, and also I took for granted that it was all in my head. Like I didn't mm. need a plan because this is what I right. do. So yeah. I kept thinking about all these things, but I, I kind of 
sat down. I literally had to have a conversation with myself and said, okay, you're the client, Marnie Salop. You are the client. Okay. Now Marnie Salop over here is going to be the brand strategist. And like, what would you do? So I put together a content calendar, you know, cause that's what I do for everyone I work with. Right. And I outlined, you know, okay, these are all the social media channels. Here is the top of the content. Like the podcast is the top of the content funnel. And then there's like XYZ channels. And I mapped out, you know, all the channels. And I said, okay, what is easy for me? And what is not easy for me? And where, and this is, you know, advice I've gotten from the 150 now to 170 at this point entrepreneurs that have been on my show. But the best advice I ever got was from Patricia Field, who told me, do what is easy for you. No brainer. Pretty simple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pretty simple. So I'm like, what's easy? Like, is YouTube easy? No. The podcast is easy because I already had that going. Yep. Instagram was easy because that's my happy place. Facebook, right. not so much. Twitter, I was like the first person on Twitter. So I've been off Twitter for a long time. Yeah. I don't use Twitter. And, you know, what were the other channels? TikTok, that's fun. I'm a creator. I could do that. And so I started putting this content together, content calendar together. And, you know, it's still a challenge because, you know, in reality, you take the topic and you have to put it through the funnel and then you have to actually do the posting. There's like 12 jobs there. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's ongoing, but the YouTube channel is up. So that was a big, exciting thing. I taught myself how to yeah. edit video and, you know, for 20 year olds, it's pretty easy, but yeah. <laughs> someone who's like building companies, not in the minutia day to day, it's a little bit of a learning thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because if, if like you're, you know, if there, if you take something to take a diet, for instance, if your boss or client had said, this is something you have to do, like Marnie, I need to pay you to right. not eat ice cream for a month. You know, don't worry about no why, problem. but this is what I'm going to pay you. You wouldn't do it. Like it'd be no problem. Right. But then for whatever reason, this contract you have for yourself where you're like, eh, I don't feel like posting to Facebook today. Like you would never do that for a client. Right. You would never just blow it off and be okay with blowing it off. Same with training yeah. or anything. No. And I think, I think some of it is like time and money also. Like I started to do some like deep psychological analytics around this. I was like, you know, why can I do this for a client and not for myself? Because I'm being paid, because I'm hired, yeah. because, and so I guess, you know, psychologically speaking, as an entrepreneur, if like from one entrepreneur to another, it's a lot easier when you're hired to do something because you're getting paid and you're making money and it's less of a risk to spend the time on yourself when it's like, you know, your time versus your yeah. money. I don't know. But, uh, but the devil's advocate there is that as yeah. an entrepreneur, you should recognize that compounding interest, you know, those things where, you know, again, it's a hook in the water that was great advice yeah. I got early in my career is that you need to, you need to be putting as many hooks in the water as possible throughout your career. And they start later in your life paying dividends where all of a sudden you have multiple income streams or multiple channels of influence and things like that. So it's interesting yeah. that we just, humans just in general are awful at taking their own advice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you do, you really have to dig deep and find the strength, like entrepreneur or athlete, whatever it is, to like yeah. see the big picture. You know, it's like zone two training. You know, you don't want to do it. Nobody wants to run slow. Nobody wants Great to take analogy. it easy. Yeah. And 
in five years from now, though, you might be running, like, I'll take myself as an example. I'm running an 11 minute mile in my like zone two, 140 heart rate. And that really sucks. It sucks. But like in five years from now, I could be running an eight minute mile in that zone two, but I got to do the work to get there and I have to be patient. And I think that it's the same thing with business. I think that's a perfect analogy. That that really yeah. is a perfect analogy because it's it feels terrible while you're doing it. It's tough to take that advice. It's tough to walk up that hill that you know you can run up, but you're like, yeah. no, this is this is money in the bank that I have to be putting there now. And as you said, and I, I talked to Marathon, uh, Marathon Marcus Marcus Brown, who similar approach. Like he hired a coach, and this coach told him, like, do this for three to five years. And I was like, dude, kudos to you. For taking yeah. that advice, because if somebody, if if a running coach especially, like starts a conversation with, hey, we're <laughs> going to do this for years. three to five years, I'm like, okay, I'll see ya. I'm going to go look for the guy who will, which is stupid, who will promise me he can get me there in a year, and I know he won't, and yeah. he'll blame me the whole time for doing stuff, so. Yeah, it's true, though. The, You've got to yeah. put that long, slow distance in. You have to. You have to. Have you, have you noticed, um, like, as you are... Um, counseling yourself here have you noticed like has it made you change other parts of your business where you've where you realized holes in your plan or um things that didn't work or or things like that like being your own customer yeah like i realized like uh, that it all goes back to doing what's easy for you and getting over some hurdles or some humps in the planning so for example with youtube i you know, didn't want to just put up the whole podcast Zoom video. Like I wanted to have a moving animation and some cool graphics. And I started teaching myself how to use Adobe Premiere Pro. And it was, it's really hard. It's not easy. You know, I'm I'm not a naturally visual person. So just, you know, I've never been good at Photoshop. Like I use PowerPoint to create graphics. Yeah. <laughs> so Microsoft don't hire paint. me for graphic design, yeah. anyone that's listening. <laughs> I have the vision, but I would hire a graphic designer. Um, but seriously, I it was really challenging to figure that out. And I did. And then I learned about Adobe Rush, which I had been using on my phone uh, to create videos for TikTok and Reels. And it was very easy. It wasn't so complicated. It wasn't, it felt like very light and easy. I mean, there was still a lot to learn with moving animation and graphics and finding the right fit. But I kept going back to Premiere and trying to learn it. And it was just like, it was overwhelming. I really didn't have the patience and it took a lot of time. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to have to hire someone to do this. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do it myself because I don't, that's kind of one of my rules of thumb with entrepreneurship is at least try to do it yourself. And then at least you understand like why somebody's going to charge you $500 for like an hour of their time, because it's not an hour. It takes a lot to do. So, you know, whatever it is, I, I figured it out on Adobe rush and it's great. It feels great to be able to do that. Like I found a way back to my original triathlon. I always find a way to get things done. And I just, you know, I was a little bit impatient. I was being really hard on myself. Um, and I found a way and I did it and I'm psyched. So I think, you know, with your regards to your question, like, were there any holes? I think that was like, you know, there were, there were a lot of things, you know, I would love to have more video on YouTube. Um, 
you know, I'd love to get more, I'd love to do more reels and more personal content, yeah. but I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So I yeah. like everything to look good and yeah. I can't just throw something out there. And there's, you know, something about that that I recognize is uh, yeah. to my advantage and detriment. Well, it, it sounds like you learned the number one law of product management, which is the the <laughs> law of constraints, the glory of constraints by yeah. using Rush. That's what's so interesting about mobile apps is they the constraints are what makes them what make them beautiful, elegant, easy to use in a lot of ways versus like a desktop version right. where Microsoft Word, great example, 483,000 yes. features of which you use four, right? Right. And so when you when you apply constraints, whether it's to your training, your racing, your business, your whatever, you have to apply constraints or you everything is open-ended. And so in right. product management, that's the first thing you look for is, is what constraints can I sort of in some ways, especially when you're starting a business where frankly, there are a few constraints, right? You can, you can tinker till yeah. forever, right? Nobody's seen it. Nobody cares, whatever. It's like, how do I put constraints to say, okay, I'm going to launch in 30 days. I'm going to do a 50 mile run in July. I'm, you know, you have to put these constraints on or you will just spin out of control forever. Right. I think yeah, that's, I think that, um, like back to virtual races and me not doing any, I'm actually just going to do a virtual half marathon this weekend, but mm. it's not like part of any group. But I think that, that I missed, I kind of feel like I missed that in terms of my training, but it's just like the virtual, those constraints of like that, that doesn't work for me. But I, yeah. I think that, um, I love Zwift and I love games and challenges. So I feel like you know, having some kind of gamification around the virtual challenge could be cool. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I'm kind of similar. Like I, I never, I didn't do any virtual races during this time. I love the, uh, I love the idea of supporting all of our race customers yeah. and the people like the thankless job that race directors have and timers have. And these, you know, the people who get up at four o'clock in the morning and go out there and make sure that there's a venue to race in. I'm all about supporting them. The athlete in me though, is like, we, we, what you described it earlier in the podcast, we call it the reignition moment that, mm -hmm. that, that experience of hating everything about a race until that minute you cross the finish line. And then it all sort of makes sense. Yeah. And it's almost like watching Memento, that movie where everything goes in reverse, where you're just like, what? I'm confused. I hate this. This sucks. And then you have that aha moment when you cross the finish line and you're like, when's my next race? Right. Yeah. And I just don't, yeah. I just don't get that from virtual races. And that's what I'm addicted to. I'm addicted to that, that feeling of that, you know, crossing the finish line or, you know, sprinting against another person, you know, even when they're not in my age group or anything. And, you know, you're just, yeah. you're just digging it out. I just don't get that from virtual races. And so, you know. I don't know. I mean, I kind of started talking about this summer with a couple of my friends where I'm going to, if for some reason, this 70.3 Ironman doesn't happen. Like, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to lose it. I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah. And I was telling a friend and she's like, well, where are you going to do it? And I said, well, I'm going to go out to Sag Harbor, going to swim in the bay. Then I'll ride out to Montauk or however far it's probably too far, but, and yeah. then I'll run, you know, my run in that area. And yeah. she's like, well, I'll do it with you. And I'm like, well, you know, we have to be socially distanced and, you know, I don't want to, like have to wear, I'll be wearing a mask, you know, if there's any people around and, and she's like, well, we can like kind of do it together. Like I'll be like 
behind you. And, you know, she's like, and if I have to pass you, I'll pass you, but we'll wear masks and it'll be socially distanced. And I was telling another friend and, you know, he was like, oh, I totally do that. I'll, I'll do yeah. that. And then they told a few of their friends. And so now I'm doing like this team MOTM. I don't even have a name for it. Like challenge this summer that it started out as a half. And then everyone's like, well, can you make it an Olympic? Because you know, I'm not really doing a half. And I'm like, just do whatever you want. I'm going to make it yeah. a game. It's not a challenge. Yeah. It's a game. So yeah. I'm coming up with like, you know, 20 different prizes. Like I'm getting stuff from different brands that I work with. And I'm just going to have people unlock things. So, you know, they can run, they can bike, they can swim, they can do all three. Everything they do is like an entry. And, you know, then people I'm friends with in, in California were like, oh, we could do it. Could we do it here? I'm like, do whatever you want. Like, just send me your Garmin you know, watch time, sign up yep. for it. I'm sharing your emails with all the brands and I'm turning this into like a big thing. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. So it's fun for me. Maybe it'll be fun for everyone else. It's kind of how the, first but it's not a virtual started, race. Right? Yeah. 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 And that's what I mean is, is like the, the, so my 50, if I, if, if uh silver rush gets canceled, I'll just go do a 50 that day. Like I'll, I'm, yeah. I'm still going to do it. And it's not that I'm anti, I'm certainly not protesting it. It's just that um, I guess that's what it is. I would do it. It just, it, it's like, um, it's like eating pizza versus steak. You know, it's like one won't scratch the itch of the other. They're both delicious Great. and fine, yeah. and, you know, but it's like, if I'm, if I'm craving pizza, I want a pizza. And right now I'm craving, I'm craving the racing, you know? Yeah, I am. I am looking forward to it though. I really do hope it happens because, you know, I love those yeah. catered experiences. Yeah. Well, you'll have to send the results into Athlinks and we'll get them posted, or I, I should say they'll get them posted for you. Yeah. So <laughs> do you know where you're, I, I know you can edit this, but do you know yeah. where you're off to? Like, what are you going to do besides uh, chill out for like an hour? Yeah. So that, that is the biggest problem right now is forcing myself to take 30 or 60 days. I'm already, I've already got two projects that I'm working on that, um, they're, they're purely just, um, um, kind of experimental with some friends that have been working on some things and I'm, I'm coming in to help them. So it's, um, um, I don't know. I, it's not charity work. It's just sort of like, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in your problem. Let me come in and apply some of the things yeah. that I've learned. Um, and then there's a bigger project that I'm working on that, um, probably 60 days away from announcing, but that is, uh, is sort of one of those, um, soul feeders, you know, that yeah. is, will take the place could, of athletes. I, I feel like, I don't think, I always used to say like, oh, I'd love to move to an island and just yeah. like live there. But I'd end up doing PR for the island. Like I, I would bring every yeah. race into the, like what, I just don't think there's a day that yeah. I could like not do anything. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing with, you know, working in software is I've had, um, whether they're side projects that ever launch or just experimentations and things like that, I've always got two or three of those in my, in my pocket. So, you know, one, one project is just a, it's a, a thing that I've been working on with, for a friend, just helping his team understand product management. So that's been ongoing for a while and I'll continue to do that. Um, and then this other thing is a new thing that I've been, this was a, there's a whole long story to this. So I'll, yeah. I'll keep it very brief, but it's a, it's a guy that I've wanted to work with for, for a decade that um, he and I just, the timing has never been right. And so things about two, yeah, things about two years started to, fall into place with some things that he was working on. And then my plans to leave Athlinks, which started about a year and a half ago. Um, I just wanted to, you know, my 50th birthday, I wanted to sort of 
draw a line in the sand for, okay, I've got, let's say 20 years of the last part of my career and, and let's go do something new. So you're 71. I'm 71 years old. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. 71 yeah. years old. No, you're born in 71. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 1971, yeah. October. So I, I squeaked out before my 50th birthday. So I'll end my 40s with Athlinks and then I'll go do 20 years somewhere else. Probably not the same. I, I will never do, well, I say this. I hope not to do the same thing for 15 years. I'd like to have a few different experiences over the next 20 years. I mean, there's something nice though about doing the same thing for as long as you have. But yeah, I mean, I, I get it. You're an entrepreneur. It's hard to, 15 years is like a lifetime. Well, it's, you know, I mean, luckily the 15 years have had several incarnations, you know, it was the startup and then selling to Lifetime. And then even that went through two or three big changes in, you know, yeah. running Chrono Track and everything else. It's been, um, it's been phenomenal. Like I, I really have not a single complaint. We made mistakes. We did good things. We did bad things. I'm super, I mean, it was weird. Like I actually kind of teared up when we hit 350 million results this week. Cause it was like, I, I, you know, like I said before, like had I started Athlinks to try to get 350 million, a third of a billion race results under management. Like there's no way I would have done that. You know? Right. There's no Such way. a good idea. We're going to talk about it on my podcast. There you go. Tomorrow. Cool. All right. Well, let's get to the 10 question dash here. So okay. you want to answer Great. some questions? Everybody gets sure, to know let's you do a little it. bit more. All right. Let's do it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Question number one. What is your, what is your gear looking like? What brands do you love? And, uh, all right, here we on. go. Brooks running for shoes. Okay. I love my felt bicycle. I'm a huge fan felt. of Castelli and Betty designs for triathlon stuff. Very nice. Very good. And swimming. Okay. I wear Sable goggles and a Roka wetsuit. I've never heard of Sable. Yeah, they're small. Cool. Awesome. I had a felt. It felt felt is one of the best values in bikes. That you get a lot of bang for your buck for the same amount of money. Good yeah, brand. it's a great Very bike. Brand. Um, okay, so your next is the next race that um, the MOTM uh, half, no. half Iron Olympic. MOTM Sweat for Swag Challenge. Oh, very no. good. Okay. Yeah, Sweat for Swag. Okay. Is that your next race? No. Actually, I'm going to sign up for a an Olympic distance in Connecticut. It's called okay. the Pat Griscus. It's in Connecticut, a quasi amusement park. Okay. Good plug. Very good. Do you have a uh, Do you have a favorite sports book or movie? Uh, my favorite sports book is How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald. Okay, yeah. And it's all about how bad do you want it. I just saw you. So you interviewed him recently on the podcast. Yes, I interview him all the time. He's oh, awesome. Good. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> He's, I'm your, also, yeah. <laughs> what's your favorite race? My favorite race is the... My favorite race is Quasi. Oh, no, actually, no. Delete. My favorite delete. race is... That. My favorite race is the Mighty Hamptons. That's in Sag Harbor. It's an Olympic distance race. It takes place in September every year. I've been doing it since like day one. Cool. And then you get to like party with Paris Hilton right afterwards. And stuff. Totally. That's exactly nice. what I do. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, bucket list race. What's the one on the calendar? There? Kona. Kona. All right. Very good. Boom. Well, you have to do a. Well, I guess you don't have yeah, to I do know. An Ironman before. I have a plan. I'm not doing Kona till I'm 90. Oh. Okay. Got a lot to go, a lot of ways to go. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> I'll qualify right. then. Do you like to listen to music when you uh, when you train or 
I love to listen to right. electronic dance music when I run. What is your? Well, this would be. I don't know if you dead mouth. answer this then. Yeah, dead mouth. Okay, is that your? Is that your sort of uh, finish line? Get you across finish line, dead mouse. Uh, there's no real. There's no get me across the finish line. Probably, okay. probably a dead uh, mouse song. What's the uh, other than dead mouse? What's the most embarrassing artist or song on your playlist? Carly Simon. Oh, very nice. <laughs> I wow. I have a spectrum of music because I run for it miles. <laughs> Okay, well, Sarah McLaughlin is mine, so it's it's okay. same same general genre there. Uh, yeah. Do you have a pre-race ritual or superstition? Um, I just have to eat. Well, it depends on the race. If it's a triathlon, I have to eat oatmeal. That okay. is my ritual. That's your, yeah. your staple. No Very superstition. Good. Don't try anything new on race day. Yeah, I hear. You. Yeah, you don't strike me as an overly superstitious person, but. Um, living or dead, who would you most like to share a long training session with? Madonna. Than, We'd have so much Carly fun. Simon. Madonna. Okay. <laughs> wow. I was not expecting that answer. I know. I am full of surprises. Yeah. Is she Brooklyn or is she Long Island? Where is she from? Madonna. She's from Detroit, but oh, that's she lives right. in New yeah, York yeah. City. That's right. That's right. Okay. All right, final question, Marnie. What is the secret? Do what you love. Boom. There you go. That works. That works well. Very good. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. So what's next for you? What do you got coming up that uh, we haven't already talked about? Where can where can people find you and, and all that? Let's let's plug your podcast and Instagram. Great. And so wherever you listen, Marnie on the Move is the name of the podcast. And Very good yes, podcast. I'm on I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm not big on Twitter, okay. uh, but I am on Twitter if people like to tweet. And YouTube, my new YouTube channel. It's Marnie on the Move YouTube channel. So those are all the places you can find me. There's also a Marnie on the Move website. And then there's a Fit Plus Love website and a Salop Group website. Very good. All right. We will include all of those things in the show notes. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful chatting with you. I can't wait to now get on your show in the next few days. Yeah. When is that again? Are we doing Tomorrow, that? I think. Is it tomorrow? Okay, good. <laughs> good. I have it yeah. written down here somewhere. I have to look, but if tomorrow is Friday, then it's tomorrow. All right. Perfect. I don't know what yeah. day it is. Yeah. I'm My life just... has been like upside down the last two weeks trying to wrap up every you know, 15 years worth of stuff that is like athletes that I have to hand off and things. So it's yeah, I figured when we spoke last time, I couldn't even imagine how we were going to do this, but I just went with it. It works. Like no, so soon. Yeah. I mean, it's good. Yeah. The more you do, the more you can do. Oh, Perfect. that's my secret too. <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. Well, folks, that is cool. the show. I am Troy Busso. Thanks again to Marnie Salop for sharing the day and the afternoon with us on a gorgeous New York day instead of out there training. But um, oh. yeah, all good. We do a special post for each episode on Instagram. So look for the post for episode 39 with a picture of Marnie. If you have comments or questions, we are at Athlinks or shoot us an email to podcast at athlinks.com. The best way to support this podcast, obviously, is to click subscribe on iTunes or follow on Spotify to be notified of new shows. Share it far and wide with anyone you think would enjoy it. And please take a second to give us a rating and a quick review on iTunes. And until next time, happy racing, everybody. We did it. Awesome. That was fun. I had so much yeah. fun. Easy peasy. You we should do great. a show together. We should. Yeah, I'd be, be down I, for that, that would be for fun. Sure.